Hi, beautiful people, and welcome back to the Grab Life podcast. Grab Life is all about taking positive action towards a brighter and more vibrant future for not only ourselves, but for others too. Stories of overcoming adversity, great will, and or hope show us that it's never too late to grab life by the horns. The power is with us to change the things that need to change, and we do that by daring to live our truth, continuing to learn, and fight for what's right every day. I'm Avery Underwood, and I am your host. I am a health and wellness coach, and I'm here to empower you to live your most vibrant and well life for you through self-love, self-care, and the power of your intuition. In this episode, I talk with Hannah from Not Your Grandma's UK, and we talk about her activism, the effect COVID has had on the disabled community, how there is no such thing as a completely accessible society, why saying disability is inspirational is so problematic, and so much more. As always, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I love to hear what y'all think. And with that, I hope you enjoyed this episode. So today on the Grab Life podcast, we have with us Hannah Hoskins, who is a disabled business owner and activist. And today we're going to talk about the importance of disability education and representation. So welcome, Hannah. Hi, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, no worries. So to kick things off around here, we do a little quick fire round of questions called grab and go. So I'm just going to list two things and then whatever the first thing is that pops into your head. Okay. Cool. So still or sparkling? Ooh, still. Summer or winter clothes? Winter. Cat or dog? Cat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you said that you have a Maine Coon, right? Yeah, she yeah, she's actually snoring beside. So if you get snoring sounds, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, it's cute. I love that. Uh, DMs or trainers? Ooh, DMs. Marmite or peanut butter? Peanut butter. Pizza or pasta? Pizza. Tea or coffee? Coffee. <laughs> book or podcast? Ooh, book. Guacamole or salsa? Ooh, can I say both? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Do you like spicy salsa? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, me too. That's the one. Cool. All right. Awesome. You you know what you like. That was good. Loads of people, they mull over it. <laughs> no, I'm a quick answerer. <laughs> okay, cool. So firstly, I just wanted to ask how your 2020 was and how you're feeling coming into 2021, because obviously we're in really bizarre times at the moment. So I just want to highlight that. Yeah, really, really bizarre times. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel, I don't think. It's, um. Having said that, was a quick answer. Um, <laughs> like, hmm. um, no, I mean, in some ways, 2020 has kind of been good for me in the sense that um, because my disability is centered around fatigue, um, it's been really nice not having to go anywhere. <laughs> um, oh. What a bad saying, because I know, you, you know, it's been uh, terrible for some of the disabled community. Um Obviously, there's a huge amount of us who are really affected by COVID. Um, it's quite life-threatening for people with disabilities. Um, it has not been a pleasant ride. But on the other side of things, my personal experience of it, I am quite privileged in the sense that it has been actually better for me. Just to be able to relax, you mean? Well, to be able to relax, to not have to go anywhere. Everything's online now, so I can get to places that I never were able to take part in before. I can see people I couldn't see before because I can just Skype them and that's kind of normal now. Um, I can get online healthcare now, which is amazing. It means I don't have to leave my house. 
and get even worse in my um, kind of condition. Um, so yeah, for me, it's I, I've been really privileged, but obviously, again, it comes with that pinch of salt in the sense in the sense that a lot of disabled people have obviously experienced things like uh, eugenics going on at the moment, and you know, the the it's oh, it's only people with pre-existing conditions, and that's really difficult if you are one of those people. Um, and obviously, we have been percentage-wise far more affected as a group um, by COVID and and the death toll. So yeah. It's a it's a part and parcel. It's good and it's not good. (laughs) Yeah, I totally get that. How are you feeling about the year ahead, the year to come? The year to come is interesting. I think um, it will be interesting to see how much stays Um, because, like I said, Mm. my my life has got a lot easier, um, and certainly it has for a lot of disabled people. You know, the stuff that we'd asked to have the accommodations that we desperately needed were only made available when everybody else needed them, um, which is obviously a kick to the stomach in some ways, but great in others. And I really don't want to see those disappear. Um, yeah, it's a kind of a part and part like worry and kind of like excitement at the fact that, you know, obviously if we have vaccines coming and and kind of that's kind of thing, it, it, it could all get a bit better. <laughs> yeah. I guess nobody really knows anything that's going to happen. So that question's quite difficult, isn't it? It's like, yeah, like it's good, but it, you just don't know what's around the corner, I guess. No. And, and, and also for our community, it's, it's been a lot more tough. I yeah. think, you know, especially most of us have been shielding for a year now, you know, we, you know, exit or go anywhere. It's kind of, you know, um, the impact of this is going to be long-standing, I think. Just in terms of like, um, like mental health kind of thing or? Mental health, I think also um, a general feeling of safety as well for the disability community. Um, right. A lot of us, because a lot of it has been, well, it's only people who have pre-existing conditions. It's great to know that you're just right, written off. You know, obviously it's quite scary at the moment, you know, in the UK, the death toll is incredibly high at the most the highest it has been the hospitals are overwhelmed um and that's also the point where eugenics will come in where they'll go well who needs to be treated well you have pre-existing conditions you know you'll be one of the first people to be taken off that list to be treated um which means (laughs) yeah there's the hope of the the vaccine but at the moment i'm still shielding a lot of of my community are still shielding um for fear that we won't get treatment if we do get sick. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine what that feels like. Well, I can actually, you know, it's, it's funny that phrase, isn't it? I can't imagine what you feel like, but you can really, if you think about it properly. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's difficult. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a complex set of problems. And I think it's very unique to, the disability community at the moment and it, and to be written off in that way it feels quite harsh it was also very hard for the community to see all of the accommodations suddenly appear that we have been fighting for you know decades for um it, it's made it very clear where we stand on disability at this point in time and it's maybe not as inclusive as everyone would like to believe are there, are there any kind of like activists kind of going out of their way to try and I don't know, fight against this oppression. Well, we've been years. I mean, this is, you know, for us, this has been an ongoing decades 
you know, worth of, of oppression and, and, and trying to teach people and trying to explain what ableism is. And, you know, um, just for those who don't understand what ableism is, um, that is the discrimination against people with dis- disabilities because of their disability. So that, you know, is what is happening at the moment. It's going, oh, okay, well, you know, disabled people don't need to go out or just keep the, the most at risk at home, which is obviously a part of ableism. Um, it's, yeah, it's something that we've been fighting for decades and it's quite hard then to have people turn around and be like, well, why are you not fighting this? It's like, we have been for decades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not changed. And in fact, actually, it only changed when able-bodied people needed the accommodations and then that happened overnight and we have asked for decades like school stuff I have no so many people that I know who like a year ago had to give up school I had to give up working myself because I couldn't do it from remotely from home and now all of those accommodations are now there you know that that's pretty hard I mean giving up work was one of the hardest things I've ever done um it was particularly Sorry, the cat is really snoring. Oh, no, it's okay. I just didn't know if you cut out. And I'm just like, oh, God, can anyone else hear that? No, I can't actually hear it. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's. Um, I, I've got a heat pad for her. We we do heat pads in this house. <laughs> and she, Cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we, we take heat pads seriously in this house. <laughs> um, it's, um, yeah, it's really difficult, I, I think, to go through all of, all of that um it's made light it's come to light a, mo- a lot more the kind of ableism that exists within our society i think but it also has shown the darker side and the not so inclusive side that we we have been struggling to get people to see for a long time and do you see any kind of like shift cuz obviously your instagram you know is about all about dis- disability education etc and have you kind of seen i don't know like a shift in people's mentalities towards it within your online community like your the people who are quote unquote able i suppose I don't know if that question made any sense <laughs> No it made perfect sense um I, the 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 thing i <laughs> It's difficult. Within my community, I have seen a shift. Um, and there is some really positive things coming from my community. However, the experience that I have in the outside world has not changed. Um, it's, in fact, got worse. Um, people don't understand disability, especially in young people. Uh, mobility aids, you know, I have friends who've been chased down the street or been told that they're faking. Um yeah, I've had like I've had personal things where like a guy manhandled me because he decided that I wasn't capable of walking down steps on my own because um, I had a walking stick and I literally was like, "You're hurting me." And he oh my god, I'm me. so sorry. It's I mean, but that's the thing. It, this is what kind of why I do the page that I do because it's really important for people to understand how disability works and how our society basically does it all wrong um for me like you know I talk about the fact that I had to google to find out that I was disabled like nobody told me (laughs) (laughs) yeah what was that like um weird um (laughs) I got asked for work they were like oh Hannah do you 
do you count as diversity on this form? And I was like, I don't know. Um, so I Googled it and I Googled, am I disabled? And I then had to look through what counted as a disability. And I think the thing we're not taught in schools, you know, often the representation we see on TV or in books or whatever is always a wheelchair. And we've got this kind of really odd sense that even people who in wheelchairs can't walk, they can't, you know, they can't get out of it, they must be paralyzed, which is not the case. There's, you know, amputee wheelchair users who can walk small distances. I'm I'm one of those people, you know, if I'm going around somewhere, um, there's a big museum or something, it's really easier, much easier for me and much more, less energy taxing if I use a wheelchair, but obviously it freaks people out if I stand up, um, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of, that was the idea of disability that I had. But the reality of disability is this massive spe- spectrum of all of this stuff, you know, it encompasses mental health, it encompasses physical disabilities, you know, in different ranges, you know, disability can be different from day to day, it can be really bad one day and, and much better the, the next, you know, um, I know people who are disabled who do pole dancing, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, that takes some serious core muscles and stuff. <laughs> but she also has a fatigue issue as well. And, and so some days she can't even get out of bed, you know, and, and the disparity between those that kind of experience is something we don't talk about and so I didn't understand that I was disabled when I read that you know technically most countries consider it a disability if it affects your day-to-day life um you know and your ability to go around and do things and that can be you know mental health you know if you have OCD and it, it stops you from leaving the house you know if you have other issues that you know can affect your daily life that's a disability and it's much more broad than what we talk about you know or see on tv or see in media just touching back on how society is like inherently ableist in all forms you know you can you it is in the way that if you walk down the street and there's you know no wheelchair access or accessibility that that is an ableist way of forming society that's how society has been built is for able-bodied people mm. yeah so there's there's two different models of disability there's one that's the medical model that says that the disability is your problem so it's because either you know you you can't walk properly or you can't you know you have a limb difference or something like that um the other form of disability is the social model, which suggests that actually it's society that makes us disabled. So it's the fact that society doesn't account for people who need a wheelchair or um, like you say, with sidewalks and things like that. But also it, it goes deeper than that. You know, um, it's changing um, areas for adults um, who need you know, to change toiletry stuff or um, it's bigger disabled toilets it's uh, making sure that you don't have clothes rails in the aisles I mean there's so many different things and the other thing that I often talk about with people um which we really don't understand is that actually there's no such thing as a world that's completely accessible so because disability, well, yeah this is a, a lot of places will put um completely accessible or really accessible and it's like well you can't be because there's such a spectrum of different disabilities that different access needs can clash. So someone like me who has sensory processing, so when my fatigue gets really bad, I can't take in loud sounds or noises or talking with people just because my brain is basically going, you're in pain, you're in pain, you're in pain. 
and nothing else can function through that. And and so I have sensory processing and, and noise is really difficult. However, for someone who's hard of hearing or deaf, they will need a lot louder noises so that they interact with the world. And that's 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 why talking about a disability that comes on a spectrum and that it's completely different and very individual as well is so important because our our idea of disability is just so narrow um, that we don't even understand that there is no way to have a truly accessible world. <laughs> so what would you say to people who want to make a space as accessible as possible? Like, is it, I, I know that you say there's no such thing as a truly accessible world, but I think that a lot of people would like for there to be, well, maybe not a lot of people, but a lot of people that I know would like for there to be as much of an inclusive society as can possibly be. So what does that look like, I guess? That looks like working together and working with disabled people. So it's creating an environment, we call it access intimacy. Um, So it's basically creating an environment in which you can ask for your needs. Um, So it's putting information on your website. So for example, if you're a business and you're a physical business, put how many stairs you have, you know, put whether you have a ramp and things like that and whether you have toilet access, but also add things like if there are any additional needs or you need anything else, please contact us on this number or this email so that, you know, we can create an environment that works for you. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it because there's no, because different access needs can clash, you can't create that environment completely but what you can do is create an environment where people can ask and say I need this or um can you provide me this um but also trying to give as much information and show that you're thinking as much as possible about the different needs that people might have but then leave the room for extra (laughs) got you so it's more about kind of being open to the idea that you know you're able to kind of personalize an experience depending on who it is that may be coming in Yes, so much that because that's when access becomes really uh, not just well done, but it it creates a community spirit and a community environment because you're saying it doesn't matter who you are or what needs that you have, you're welcome here. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Everyone take note (laughs) who was listening. Um, So how did you get from you know, Googling that you were disabled to the disability education Instagram, and you also have an amazing online shop and your podcasts and your courses. Tell us about your journey a little bit. So I became disabled in, I think it's five or six years ago now. My my memory is not the best. (laughs) Brain fog does affect that kind of thing. Um, So I was quite lucky in the sense that um, some people with my condition take on average between five to 10 years to get diagnosed. Um, I was very privileged in the sense that it only took me a year to get diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Um, I have a host of other things that they're still investigating. So it's probably not just on its own. Um, It started out with me getting glandular fever, um, which obviously is, is a virus similar to what you're getting with COVID. Um, in the sense that it's a viral thing that sets off the issue. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so I spent a year before getting diagnosed 
in a lot of pain. So I basically woke up one day and couldn't take the duvet off of myself. Oh my God. Yeah. So I had to ask my partner to do that. And like my friends at work were kind of like covering for me and I was hiding it pretty well. I then got a diagnosis because I didn't want to tell work until I knew what it was. Um, because I felt very uncomfortable with asking for accommodations. Um, and then it wasn't until probably six months in after that, that I probably used my first mobility aid in work. And that's when I decided to tell them, um, that was quite a journey for me. I was very lucky in the sense that I already had someone who was chronically ill in my life, um, who kind of guided me through a lot of it. Um, but I still wouldn't, I didn't call myself disabled till maybe two, two and a half years in. So it, it was quite a journey of, of, of accepting and, and realizing my new reality and then working out that um, it was progressive for me. So I got progressively worse as time went on, um, which then resulted in about nearly two years ago where I gave up working in TV, which is where I used to work because I couldn't cope with the long hours. Um, And it was just becoming completely inaccessible for me. What was that like when you made the decision to stop working? My friends all gave me three months before I went back to work. I was a workaholic. So (laughs) I love TV. Like um, it was it was the thing that I trained to do. It was the thing that I always wanted to do. Um, it was my dream job. I was absolutely happy with it. I loved it. Um, yeah, the hours were always long, but I didn't mind because it was, you know, it was for me, it was fun. I would have done it whether someone paid me or not. <laughs> um, and I was always quite lucky in that sense that I felt that I had found a job that was my world. Um, but, I, you know, I was getting progressively worse the fatigue and the pain was getting worse and I just couldn't manage the hours like because I used to work on contract work so you were never any in any company long enough to kind of ask for accommodations you weren't um you were just given a desk and a computer and that was it off you went you know (laughs) um that was pretty much what you did and nobody in the industry there's kind of that thing of you just work and you give your all because everyone believes they're so lucky to be in the industry which they are because it's so hard to get into but it means that um you don't ever take sick days you don't ever kind of there's that culture of just constant hustle and so it just didn't work with the illness that I had um and I remember been hard for you though yeah, it was heartbreaking. It's it probably the most hardest thing that I've ever done in terms of giving that up. It was my dream job. Um, I'm really sorry about that. I think it's difficult. I, I, I'm much happier now in terms of like my body isn't, you know, problematic. I I'm a lot less stressed. You know, my, my other half used to joke that I would, <laughs> the way that I would go out was it would be that I would die of a heart attack in work. Um, <laughs> you know, you're a workaholic when that's what you're like, family <laughs> think about you. And they're like, yeah, you'll just die in work at some point, you know, of a heart attack. <laughs> um, 
yeah and so like I never saw my partner like I, I was barely around or at home most of the time so you know I, I loved it and it was absolutely great for me but what I have now is very different as well I think one of the biggest things that I would say about disability and illness is you really find out who you are when it happens to you um because and not in that inspirational way, because obviously that's that's that trope we have a disability that it's so inspirational. But it, in the sense that you lose a lot, like I lost my ability to do the job that I loved. So I had to find a life that had stuff that wasn't just working, which is something I would have never done had I not been forced to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's so different in that sense, because you really do find out who you are and you really do find out who your friends are because if you can't go out and party with everyone and you can't, you know, you can't, you know, answer that text even sometimes, you find out who's going to stick around and it's hard and it's difficult and it's um, very humbling. But at the same time, what you get in return for that is also quite amazing in terms of like how the the growth, the personal growth, you mean? Yeah, the personal growth and knowing who you are. So like I, because I have such limited energy, I now know how to focus that on the things that I need in my life. So I need, you know, I need rest, but I also need to have, you know, something that interests me, which is why I do the work that I do. And, you know, I also know that I need to be happy and I need to spend time with my friends and my family and those are things that I never prioritized before and I think it gave me a completely new perspective on that well that's amazing I think that in order to to be able to have that come out of you know something that in the beginning must have been um quite hard to sink in perhaps or like the impending reality that you know your life is changing to then kind of, for lack of a better phrase, grab life by the horns and just, you know, take it in your stride and adapt. And um, yeah, I think think it's amazing. I wanted to touch on the inspirational thing because that's something that I've seen, like, you know, following people on social media, et cetera, is that this whole like inspirational dichotomy is um, harmful, is it not? So harmful. Yeah. So harmful. <laughs> what do I say? Um, we call it inspiration porn. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's basically um, where disabled lives or where you get through the difficulty. Um, it's mostly you'll see like a photo of like a man in a wheelchair climb, rock climbing. It's like, oh, if he can do it, you can too. Um which <laughs> is all kinds of wrong. Um, first off, it's often the only type of um, story that disabled people are given. You are either given the inspirational, oh, look how much they've overcome, look how great that is, or you get the whole, um, they couldn't deal with their disability, they're miserable, oh, look how shit their lives are. I, you know, I've had people say to me, I couldn't live your life. Um, I've had friends who've had people say to them, I'd kill myself if I was you. Oh my God. Um, like, and, and people think it's perfectly fine. They'll say to your face, oh, I couldn't live like you. And you're like, oh, great. Wow. <laughs> like, this should not be okay to say to me. Um, but that's 
because we see disability as being so um, bad within our lives. So it's it's such a bad thing that you couldn't possibly be okay um, at the end of it. And then you get inspiration porn, which is like, um, oh, look how great they are. They've overcome it. And the issue is that you only get those two narratives. If we had other narratives where you just saw a disabled person just living life, being normal, you know, it would be different. It wouldn't be a problem to see those stories. But when you only have those, um, it's really difficult because you basically only ever get framed in people's minds within these things. You're either the disabled person who's overcome it or, or you're the disabled person who can't overcome it. Um, and we're much more than that because we're full human beings. Yeah, totally. It's almost that thing of like, ugh, what's the word where you're not kind of looked at as like a whole person hmm. is a word uh, for it. Yeah, there is. And I can't think what it I is. I can't think of it either. <laughs> well, we know what we're talking about. But that's kind of the issue, though, isn't it? Is it's like, you know, you're either put into these kind of labels or these camps. And if you don't fit into that, then, you know, it's not taking into account that, you know, you're a holistic whole person, no matter what. And you don't need to be labeled. No. Well, in the same way that you're not labeled, you know, you're not always like, oh, the disabled entrepreneur you know, whenever I'm introduced, it's always the disabled um, business owner, which is great in, because that's what I I subscribe to because that's how I describe myself best. But <laughs> if I was just doing any old dis- disability, you know, and what my business wasn't anything to do with disability, it would be a bit weird. Like, why do I have to always be introduced as the disabled business owner if it's, you know, if it's not to do with disability? Um, you know, that's mine is true. I, you know, and that's the problem. We always attach the disabled word to that person. And then again, they're never anything more. They're just disabled. And because we don't understand things like disabled joy, you know, one of the great things about the community that I absolutely love being in is that you see disabled joy and it's just people living their disabled lives being happy, um, which is something you just don't see in, you know, you don't see a disabled person just being disabled and happy. Like, the, you know, what if you see in media a disabled person living their life? You know, what if you weren't told why they're disabled? What if you didn't have that backstory of the fact that, you know, they became disabled in this car crash and then, you know, they overcame it all and then, you know, became this amazing superhero person? Do you know what I mean? What if they were just disabled and enjoying life? Yeah, it's almost kind of seen as like a radical thing when in reality, like everybody experiences joy and it shouldn't have to be that if you're able-bodied only yeah yeah I get that yeah and it's that kind of lack of that that is really problematic because um that then leads to discrimination because people don't understand what disability is and that's why it's so important the work that you do so just going back to the TV, how you used to work in TV, because um, you've mentioned to me before that you've seen firsthand how representation is handled, and now you can't stop talking about it. So I just wanted to know, yeah, what you mean by this? Um, it's really difficult. It, it's that thing of that again. We've talked about it a little bit already, in the sense that disabled people are only shown in those two kind of tropes, um, and the lack of that. I mean, that's how I didn't know I was disabled. <laughs> if you see what I mean, because I, you know, for me, TV is like the shortcut to understanding. Like you can meet thousands more people than you would ever manage to meet in a lifetime and see so many different ways of living and life. And 
representations of what that means and everything. That's why diversity and inclusion is so important. You know, it's what it's why we have issues in the industry at the moment because it's not inclusive enough. It doesn't represent everybody yet. It, um, it represents a very few, very you know, slim amount of people. Um, quite literally, a very slim amount. Yeah, of people. I know. I was just thinking. <laughs> Um, you know, and and that's not real life. And because of that, we have this warped view of what life is like. Um, you know, it's it's how we understand the world. And not having representation is quite dangerous to people. You know, it means that people don't understand different family backgrounds, you know, or different cultures, but also disability. You know, disabled people are... Uh, I'm trying to remember the percentages, but there's, you know, the number of disabled people, something ridiculous, like one third of disabled women are sexually abused at some point, you know, it's, it's huge numbers of um, kind of people who are, because they're disabled, discriminated against because people don't understand it. I mean, you've, we've all seen those memes of a disabled person standing up in a wheelchair to reach something from a shelf. And they've had someone take a photograph of them because there's ties that they can get up. Um, and that's because we don't understand disability. And the only way we're going to do that <laughs> across cultures and across understanding is through media. Yeah, and I, I actually think that that's such a, an amazing kind of way to look at it is that TV is, there is such a huge, um, what's the word? there's such a huge opportunity to kind of showcase, like you say, different backgrounds, different ableisms or disabilities or whatever, um, just to get people to understand, you know, the dynamics of society and what makes society so beautifully unique and complex, etc. But, you know, it often falls short of that. Yeah. Well, we don't tell everyone's story. That's the thing. You know, we're we're wired to look for the story in something, you know, um, human beings respond best to a, a narrative. Um, but we're not allowing that disabled a narrative to flourish properly. And it's it's causing real harm to real people. Yeah. And do you think that this is because this lack of representation is mainly because of, you know, the people who work within the tv industry are predominantly of one specific category mm -hmm. within society yes in short yes i mean um my particular favorite was uh, i was at a company in which the owner of the company was about to give a talk on um disability in the industry and after me working there for nine months I had to explain to him why he couldn't hire the uh other disabled person because they were in a wheelchair and even after watching me for nine months get up three flights of stairs had not realized they had no disabled access um <laughs> and he watched me every morning with a walking stick go up three stairs and didn't realize um that was yeah that was there are many other instances like that um that I had um so many people that I also knew who worked in the industry who hid their disabilities um and hid any problems that they might have because of them um 
that lack of understanding as well, where it becomes just a numbers game. You know, we talk about the fact that we're trying to get diversity and inclusion more within the industry, but it is literally just, can we tick that box? Can we, can we say that we've, we've been inclusive? Um, and it's, it's so much more than that. You know, they're only just waking up to like the idea of mental health being a problem or that there are, you know, different races of people than white people. You know, it's, it's <laughs> I've only just realized this. <laughs> Disability is not high on the, <laughs> the inclusivity spectrum, shall we say. Um, and it saddens me greatly. I hope that the impact of COVID has shaken it up quicker than I think it would have done. Um, but then that's how I feel about the whole of society. In some ways, I hope when we come out of this, that there is more of a backlash about because we've now had these accommodations, it's much harder to take them away. Um, but I fear that they will still be taken away. Um, and that's pretty hard. And it, it's definitely a feeling that comes from the disability community at the moment is that fear that that will be taken away. Well, I mean, I can only say that I hope that that doesn't happen. Mm. And what can kind of be done in order for them to not be taken away, I guess? I think it's really interesting. I mean, like, I think Scotland, if I remember correctly, are actually putting in into law now um, the working from home stuff. So disabled people will be able to fight to have jobs from home. Oh, amazing. Yeah, which will be absolutely amazing. And if we follow suit in terms of that for other countries and other you know, places, hopefully that it will be harder for companies to argue for things like that. But um, I'm also aware that, you know, we've been fighting for decades for these things and they haven't come about. So we will see. <laughs> we will see if, well, hopefully, hopefully they'll remain in place. And I'm, I guess I'm just wondering in terms of like, from like an ableist point of view, like what anybody listening to this can kind of do in order to help make sure that these, these, things are still in place for, you know, people with disabilities who would largely benefit from keeping these systems around? I think, I mean, it depends. If you're, if you're a business owner, I think it's understanding that work from home is not the thing to be feared that we once thought, you know, it is possible. It is, it is something that works if you, you're willing to try it um, and make allowances to do that. Um, I'm hoping that in general, the shift towards the mentality of having um, more flexible lives. You know, if people themselves are fighting to have more flexible things, you know, it doesn't just benefit disabled people, um, but, it, you know, work from home and flexible hours has been shown to massively impact, you know, employee health and, and mood and, and even productivity. You know, it, if you fight for them for yourself, then you're still helping your disabled community at the same time. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing is, is just fighting to keep them and to keep flexible working hours. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, you also mentioned that you do sensitivity reading for children's books for disability representation. So tell us a little bit more about what this is and why it's important. 
so again, it's very similar to the representation in media. Um, it's just another branch of it in that sense of um, it's really important to have um, diverse, you know, people shown within writing, within, you know, media, whatever it is, it's really important to show those different types of views because that's how we learn about experiences that are not our own. Um, and so the younger as well, because kids are just, they absorb whatever they're kind of, you know, shown or uh, exposed to, um, the younger you can get them, the better. You know, kids are always so much better with disability. You know, I, I'll never forget my my friend who's chronically ill. Um, her, daughter, her friend's daughter grew up thinking that her um, walking stick was actually a wizard's stick. Um, oh, I love that. And believed this and believed that she was magical for a good part. <laughs> That's um, so good. But, you know, they, they will just take on whatever it is. And, you know, it was it was her, you know, magical stick that made her life easier. And that's how she understood disability. Um, and that's the really important thing. Kids will very much just take on board however you describe disability. And, and often, you know, I'll see parents out and about who get worried when their kids like, why has that person got a, a walking stick? And I don't mind that, you know, yeah, I mind it if a grown adult asks me, you know, you're not entitled to my medical information. You don't need to know. A child, however, mm -hmm. you know, that's fine. You know, just the answer is some people need walking sticks. That's it. And that child won't question it anymore. They'll be like, okay, then that's how life works. Um, you know, and, and that's why representation within books is so important as well. Um, unfortunately, the literary thing for, for children's books isn't particularly diverse at the moment. Again, it's the same issue where a small select type of people are the people that, you know, um, control what what gets published or what gets chosen. And unfortunately, it very much reflects only their experiences of life um, and therefore doesn't give us the wide diversity that we really desperately need. Um, I really enjoy doing the readings for children's books as well, just because, I don't know, it's just, it's so easy to explain to kids what disability is. And the younger that you get them, just the better it is. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, but I guess I'm just curious. So sensitivity reading for children's books, is that as in like specific, will you, how does it work exactly? So is it specific books around certain topics that you know, help with disability representation in general, or do you insert characters that have disabilities within the literature of existing books? It depends um, at what stage the writing team come to you. Um, so either it will be very early on and they want to include a disabled character, but they want to do it justice and make sure that they, you know, get a real actual feel for it that is actual proper reflection of real disability um so they'll come with an idea and be like this is our idea this is what we want to do can you give us more information on what it's like to do x y and z as a disabled person um or alternatively um they come with a manuscript which will be maybe you know second third draft sometimes um and you read through it and will tweak it to <laughs> better represent um disability so you know i often take out the accidental you know because we all live in an ableist society you know there's certain things like 
you know, phrasing like wheelchair bound, you know, people don't think about how they use that. And, and you know, that's not particularly great <laughs> as, a, as an example of a way to explain someone who's disabled. You know, we're not bound to our wheelchairs. In fact, wheelchairs are often a freedom. Um, so you remove language like that and make sure you replace it with stuff that kind of really affects that disabled experience. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, that answered my question. I was just curious about what it was and seems like it's really valuable um, in terms of representation. So that's really cool. How long have you been doing that for? Oh, about two years now. That's cool. Yeah, about two years. Yeah. And is it something that somebody approached you about or that you? Yeah. um, So I do it through a company called um, Inclusive Minds. Um, They work with a massive spectrum of people so you know it's not just disability it's different race and um different gender you know gender types and 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 kind of all of that as well so it's um it's really creating you know really inclusive uh literature and i've i've had the chance to work with a lot of big publishing houses that are you know um not sure I'm allowed to mention one of them (laughs) yeah some of them are you know have been really big and I've worked on big children's books and stuff and you know it's it's just a really uh nice experience that's amazing I love that that's even a thing in place that's um that's hopeful yeah it's so good I mean you know that's that's one of those things where you really get to see that people are trying to make changes and I think it's happening maybe in literature a little bit quicker than media amazing So just to wrap up, do you have any take-home points about our conversation for the audience? I don't think so. I think it's just understanding that disability might not be what you've been taught. Um, The disability might be different. And I think the the way that you understand that differently is diversifying your feed. We talk about it an awful lot in the community where you you find people who aren't like you um, and follow them on social media you know, find a disabled person who, you know, uses a walking stick, isn't just in a wheelchair, or, you know, find someone who, you know, subscribes to different genders, or, you know, different types of people and try and show yourself as many different versions of seeing the world as you absolutely can. Because that's how you become more inclusive in the way that you approach things, because you understand that, your experience may not be the same as somebody else's experience. Yeah, totally. It is just about kind of trying to understand other people's stories, really, and their point of view. And it's that whole thing about, you know, passing the mic and just trying to do better and understanding your privilege within where you sit in the world. Yeah. Amazing. So at the end of each episode, I asked three questions about how you best grab life. So question number one, what is the most incredible and exciting thing you've ever done in your life? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, it can be a couple if you can think of a few. I think one of my favorite ones was convincing the council to allow me to drive a tank down the middle of a road. Oh my God. <laughs> and again, it's TV. Like you, you end up doing the weird things. But um, I had to convince the council because I didn't know that roads have weight limits on them. What? Um, yeah, turns out they are. Also, you have to write a risk assessment that says people may look at the tanks a lot and therefore fall over or hurt themselves. <laughs> oh <laughs> because, my um, God. Yeah, that was good fun. Um, the other one was uh, quitting my job. So I had 
so I was about, I was, I was much younger. It was before I got into TV. I was about to be given a lifelong position in some sort of administration job. And I literally walked into the meeting where I was supposed to sign the contract and went, I quit. I've got a job in TV for three weeks. Oh, amazing. <laughs> uh, and that's how I started my career. So, um, yeah. That's yeah. so cool. I love that. Just being able to be like, actually, this is not for me. I'm going to follow my dream. Yeah, pretty much. Um, cool. And yeah, I suppose that's something that I always tried to keep to going forward, you know, that you just. Got to grab life, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question number two. What is your favorite little everyday thing that makes you feel so grounded and grateful? Annoying my cat. <laughs> how do you annoy your cat you know, you know when they're sleeping and they look really really cute but at the same time you just need to disturb them because you yeah. never look that comfortable <laughs> so I just go and disturb her you get them up for disturbing me at all hours you know we troll each other I love that relationship. <laughs> cool and the last question what is the next big thing on your bucket list that you can't wait to do oh I don't know. I think as a disabled person, it's um, that one's probably a really difficult question because I, for the last year, I've been housebound. So, you know, even excluding COVID, you know, my health is was pretty bad. It's mm. improving a bit now. Um, and so having next things is quite difficult. Um, gotcha. However, you know, because I can't, you know, I don't plan I can't plan more than like a couple of hours in advance. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Like I said, I would do this and I was like, um, I hope I'll be well enough. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, for me, I would just like to help grow my community. I think that's the next step for me, but I don't know how or when, but it will happen. <laughs> Yeah, I have total faith. (laughs) Amazing. So where can the audience find you and maybe tell them a little bit about, you know, your Instagram as a whole and about your amazing shop that you have? So my Instagram is at notyourgrandmasuk. I talk about all things disability, but also stuff about education around it. So things about intersectionality and, you know, all of that fun stuff. Um, And basically even things down to am I disabled now? What counts as a disability? Um, So I break it all down with fun cartoons and just kind of make it really nice and easy to understand. Um, My shop... um, basically does disability lifestyle items so i i have like compression stock stockings and um necklaces and stuff that say things like disabled and proud uh, which you can find at www.notyourgrandmas.co.uk uh yeah and that's pretty much where you can find me <laughs> amazing thank you so much hannah it's been a lovely conversation i hope y'all enjoyed the episode make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get instant notifications of episode releases Next week, I'll be talking with Cecilia at Cherish Nomad, who is an old high school friend of mine. We'll be talking about her journey into wellness and her book, The Wellness Code. Until then, have a magical week and sending you lots of love and see you next time.